Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for October 18th, 2022. Just a quick reminder, if you're looking for the DC books, that's in our DC Spotlight that comes out every Tuesday. Just remember that the DC Spotlight has spoilers. As opposed to this uh, episode that I'm going to talk about, uh, I think seven books tonight where we go spoiler-free on the new Comics Wednesday. So, uh, like I said, if you're looking for DC books, but you don't want to be spoiled, be sure you go and read the books first and then check out our episode from yesterday with uh, Rocky from Comic Boom. So, uh, that being said, let me go ahead and dive into the first book that I'm going to talk about. It's Silver Coin. We're up to issue number 15. This is the brainchild of Michael Walsh, who usually does the art, and collaborates on the story, but this time he's writing it himself. So writing, line work, and lettering all done by Michael Walsh. Colors by Tony Marie Griffin and Michael Walsh. And Michael's got a little, um, I don't want to say essay, but a little statement, I guess, uh, in the back of the book to say that him and his wife are having a baby and he's taking a little bit of time to concentrate on his growing family and the uh, Silver Coin book's going to be going on a hiatus. So a uh, little sad. I mean, happy for Michael and his wife and his uh, soon-to-be uh, newborn child, but sad that the book's going away because the, this anthology series has been really high quality. There's something very visceral and horrific about Michael's line work and this idea of the silver coin, which possesses people, which influences people to do horrific things is uh, a really interesting through line uh, throughout the story. And uh, one of the issues we saw the origin of the coin and how it got cursed. And for those that aren't familiar with this anthology, Michael brings in different collaborators, uh, different writers on each issue. And so, you know, obviously, like I said, he wrote this one himself, but for a lot of the issues, he's bringing in really talented writers like Kelly Thompson, Chip Zdarsky, James Tynan. So it's a, it's a chance to for them to really kind of stretch their horror muscles and for us to get a really fantastic uh, story. Now, this one in particular has a firefighter on the cover. Um, and I, I a little bit was, I don't want to say disappointed, but I thought maybe based on that really cool image of the firefighter on the front of the issue, that it would be, a, that would play a little more into the story. It doesn't necessarily um, but I do like the idea of the story being called Into the Fire because there are some some other things that happen in the story, and that title is very appropriate, I guess you'd say. So th- this is an issue that I um, that I enjoyed, and a little bit of a cautionary tale, which in a lot of ways the entire series has been, um, because it's so often what the coin does is amplify kind of the negative parts of people's personalities that are already there, you know? So if you're greedy, you're going to be more greedy. If you're, um, you know, if you have a temper, that's going to be your downfall. You know, that sort of thing, the, the, the coin sort of plays on the basis parts of humanity and, and we're all human and we all make mistakes and we all have things about ourselves that aren't, you know, a positive. And so that's, what's so interesting about, the stories that have been told by a variety of creators in the silver coin is how they take the ideas of, of us not being perfect and of our flaws and amplify them um, and kind of shine a light on them. And it makes you stop and think like, man, I need to be, <laughs> you know, I, I could be a better person. I, I could do 
better, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. So, um, sorry to say it's going on a hiatus, but I'll definitely be picking up silver coin when it, uh, when it comes back in the future. Uh, all right. Up next, our first Marvel book, it's aliens. We're only on issue two because well, we rebooted for whatever reason, uh, still the same creative team that we had on the first issue. Uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is the writer. Julius Ota is the artist. Ian Nitro is on colors and Clayton Cowell on letters. We met this group of androids called the Steel Team. Um, or maybe androids are right, the wrong terms. Uh, synthetics, right? That's what they're called in the, the alien universe, whether it be Bishop or whomever. Um, and, and the, these, the steel team, these synthetics, they were a special ops team and they sort of turned their backs on their creators. And in a way they were, they were created too well. Um, and they, they see humans as kind of obsolete and, um, always wanting to send them in to do their dirty work. And that, you know, they feel a little bit like slaves or puppets. And so they've turned their back and they've gone out on their own and they've, uh, they're living on a world that's uh, separated from humanity and, and they don't want anything to do with humanity. And then um, this general shows up and he says, hey, there's been a disaster on this this planet that's used to grow food for a lot of the colonies out in the deep reaches of space. And we need your help to uh, to do this. And we're willing to stop trying to hunt you down and you know try to live and let live and that sort of thing. So they, they greeted the mission. And that's where the story really gets interesting with this Icarus part two of six. The Julius Ota art is really strong. The only complaint I have about it is I wish that the panels were bigger so I could see more of his gorgeous line work. I really like the idea that even though these synthetics are all artificial, they have their own personalities. They're not like carbon copies of each other. You know, this isn't like a Clone Wars type situation or you know some um kind of automatons where nobody has their own unique personality so the the interplay between the synthetics is really fun the the uh, dialogue scripting from philip kenny johnson is uh, is interesting and it's also there's a sense of foreboding which often exists in a lot of these alien movies when when they work best um and this one balanced with a ton of action, just like the second Aliens movie, um, which was a good balance of that sense of foreboding, that sense of danger, that sense of uh, the alien could be just lurking around the corner to come and kill you, uh, balanced with that action, like I said. So there's a lot to unpack here, and it ends with a little bit of a, a mystery. I mean, part of the disaster on this planet, we were told last issue, was this uh, radiation that floods the planet, and there's not supposed to be any beings uh alive down there uh, obviously with the exception of the aliens who can seemingly adapt to any environment uh, and so that's why the synthetics are sent in to retrieve whatever it is that they're they need to uh, retrieve i'm not going to give it away um but as you would expect in an alien story things go sideways pretty quickly for the synthetics but they're much more able to handle that they're much better equipped to deal with an attack by aliens or whomever just because they are, you know, stronger, faster, um, you know, physically better in that way than uh, a real human being would be. Um, but again, just when you think you kind of have an idea of where the story is going to go, uh, Johnson sort of pulls the rug out from under us with a, uh, a big surprise 
at the end of this particular issue. So I'm really curious to see where it goes next. And I, as I have said throughout these alien books that Philip Kennedy Johnson is writing, his love of the alien universe, his knowledge of it is so easily seen. Like it's so obvious with how he's adding to the myth and the world of alien, how he references, he drops little uh, references here and there, little Easter eggs to other alien movies, other alien um I don't know if he's read a lot of alien comics, but um, he's constantly dropping references uh, in, from other alien stories. So it really gives this world a really fleshed out feel like he knows his stuff. So if you're an alien fan, you must be over the moon. This is like a must read. This book is so good. And again, the Julia Ota art is really fantastic. Um, so much detail. And even though they're synthetics, you know, they're, they look human and the, the facial expressions along with that dialogue that I was talking about earlier um, from Kennedy Johnson is, is spot on. It's really, really good. So uh, it's a book I look forward to reading every month for sure. Uh, okay. Up next we have Avengers number 61. I talked a lot about this run of Avengers and how recently a lot of the issues have felt a little bit like one shots. And when were we going to start seeing things start to come together well, I, apparently the answer is issue 61. Um, this one doesn't, it, it, it is in a way a character spotlight, but it's not a character spotlight of some random Avenger somewhere out there in the multiverse. We were getting the main Earth 616, this particular issue, I guess you would say it spotlights on Starbrand um, and who, who she is, um, a baby not so long ago and now a fully grown adult, uh, grew up so fast she'd didn't even have time to get a name. That's why everybody calls her Starbrand. So um, a bit of a spotlight on her, but also um, a look at what the Avengers of 616 are doing, how they're trying to fight back against Mephesto and the uh, multiversal masters of evil. So it feels like it's starting to build toward the end game, um, but it's hard for me to say for sure. Uh I, I'm sure Jason Aaron knows what he's doing between writing this and writing Avengers forever. We're certainly getting tons of uh, alternate characters as it were. So these two titles will come together at some point. Um, but I'm not sure. Again, I've, I've talked about this, about how Marvel zombies used to make fun of DC for having a multiverse on all these characters. Now Marvel has variants. Now it's the cool thing to do. So uh, it feels a bit much in a way. Like I wouldn't have any problems at all with the story if Marvel had been doing the multiverse as long as DC has. Um, but I don't know. It, it feels, it feels so forced in, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, maybe it's just because I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not as, um, immersed in Marvel as I am in DC or have been in DC for the past 10 years since I came back to reading comics and well, I guess 13 years now. Um, started the podcast and, and what have you. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm not as familiar. So it's a little tougher for me to, to kind of follow what's going along. And I, I'm like, am I not understanding because um, I don't have the reference? I don't have the knowledge or am I missing something um, because these are just new characters and that hasn't been explored. And this is actually Aaron's way of presenting it sort of in, in the middle of the story in media, Ross is the, the literary term. So, um, but I am enjoying it. 
the art is really fantastic in this issue from uh, Yvonne Fiorelli. Uh, he is the artist along with Jason Aaron's writing. I'm not familiar with his art, but uh, really solid. The color work from David Curiel is great. Letters by Corey Petit. So uh, I did like that it, it feels like we're getting forward momentum in the story that we're heading toward the the end of the story at some, or you know it is possible we're going to get an end to this uh, multiversal uh, master of evil story at some point because at times it's it's felt like we're no closer to the end than we are to the beginning um it just feels because we're getting all those one shots of characters that we're not uh, we're not moving forward with the story so maybe that's just on me. Like I said, maybe it's because um, I'm not as familiar with Jason Aaron's style of writing. Uh, you know, I didn't read his Thor run. I, I tried to pick up his Avengers run from the beginning. I didn't really care for the She-Hulk character, so I dropped it. And now I need to go back and reread it because those early issues, because whenever I dipped in, I really enjoyed it. So that's totally on me. Um, so maybe I should, you know, with that all being said, should have a little more trust in... Uh, and Jason Aaron. I guess we'll see. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Public Domain. This is from Image. This is the print version of Chip Zdarsky's Substack comic, which um, I'm a subscriber to and I've really been enjoying. He does it all. He writes it. He draws it. He colors it. Um, he's got some art assistance by Rachel Stott in this particular issue. Allison O'Toole is his editor. And it feels a little meta, this story, right? It's a story of a guy who created this really famous comic character back in the day. And now he has found a way to prove that he actually, he's, he was the artist on it. And he's found a way to prove that he actually owns the character, um, not the, the writer who, who kind of, um, who's, whose uh, sister runs a publishing company and the writer has kind of been the one that's gotten all the credit over the years. Um, and so rather than have a big lawn out, a big long drawn out legal battle, uh, we saw this a couple of issues ago, what the, uh, what the, the uh, artist and co-creator does that actually owns the legal rights to the character. What he actually does is he, he negotiates for a very small sum of money and then the rights to create comics with that character. And he's supposed to be the only one that can, can create comics. And his idea is he's going to get his, um, his sons who are both kind of scripts in a way. One, the one son who never sort of acts like he's anything but a script who was until recently a tattoo artist. And then the other son who graduated college and is outwardly successful looking, but has massive gambling debts and can't seem to, to stop gambling uh, and keeps getting himself into trouble that way. Um, and he wants that son to write it and then he's going to draw it with help uh, somehow from the, the tattoo artist son. Um, so that's kind of the setup of, of where we've gotten to before this issue starts. And in this issue, um, it, in a way it's a lot of forward momentum for the story, but in a way not, much happens. So we basically see them talk about forming the company. Uh, they go to their offices for the first time to see, uh, and that ends up being a bit of a surprise. You'll have to read it to find out why, but this issue is a little bit of Zdarsky just sort of putting all the pieces in place, all the, the characters in place where he needs them to be. And then I think some drama 
and some hard lessons are coming for these characters. But we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out in uh, in subsequent issues. Because it's not like this writer who you know was a successful well successful maybe is the wrong word, but you know at least he was gainfully employed as a newspaper reporter. You know he's lost his job. His dad wants him to write comics. He sees comics as as juvenile and and sort of beneath him. Um, you know, not the job of a professional writer. And so you know, he will he do it? Will he just? try to coast along like that. That's all up in the air. Um, at some point, I mean, I would predict that he's going to have a change of heart, right. And really embrace it and realize that there's a lot more to, to superhero comics writing them than he initially thought. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. That might be too on the nose for Zdarsky. He might not want to go down that path. Uh, okay. Let's switch back over to Marvel. We have the third issue of Predator. This is written by Ed Brisson, Kev Walker, Kev Walker, uh, does the art, colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by Clayton Cowles. I'm loving this book. Um, just like Kennedy, Philip Kennedy Johnson does with the uh, Alien book, Ed Brisson captures the feel, the tone of a Predator movie or story or what have you exceptionally well. Uh, early on, we met this, this little girl. Uh, who's was traveling along with her parents as they were uh, exploring a, a certain planet and they were attacked by a predator and she was the only survivor basically. And so she has taken upon herself to the, the predator, her name's Theta and the predator didn't see her as a threat because she was a little kid. Um, and so she survived and she has spent the last 23 years hunting predators as kind of a Batman revenge kind of thing since her parents got killed. So uh, it's a really interesting story. And she often, it feels like bites off more than she can chew in terms of going against these predators all alone without a, uh, a lot of help. Um, but she's become pretty formidable in her own way. And so it's nice to see her kind of singular mission um, because in a way she's become a predator of the predators, right? She's like, she's preying on them. Uh, and Brisson does a great job of, of character, giving us characterization for the predators when we don't really, we don't see that we never get the story from their perspective, or at least we haven't so far. We're not privy to their thoughts. We don't understand where they're coming from or what they're thinking, but yet he's still fleshing them out as, characters both individually and as a race and you know much like i said with kennedy johnson on alien getting the feel right is so important and he does that really really well like there's this again just like with alien a sense of of danger a sense of foreboding a sense of being hunted there's something after you um and that's that's scary now theta in a way she sort of welcomes that right because she this is the life that she's chosen uh, but in this issue, she learns that some of the choices she's made have affected others, uh, others that she considers sort of innocent that shouldn't be uh, affected or put in danger by the choices that she's made. And that seems to have a real effect on her. So um, it's sort of a little bit of a reminder in my mind of the fact that she is carrying a lot of survivors, survivor's guilt for the fact that she lived um, and her parents didn't when that first predator showed up in, uh, in issue number one. So uh, again, just like with alien, 
if you're a fan of the Predator movies, Predator, previous Predator comics, you're going to love this. Um, again, highly recommended. So check it out. And the Kev Walker art, um, it's it's pretty bloody and um, and violent, as you would expect. But you know, plenty of cool weapons and spaceships, and um, it's a, it's not the cleanest art style, and that works really really well for. Um, for the story that's being told here. So uh, again, highly recommended. Uh, all right. Let's see what's up next here. Uh, another Marvel book, Iron Man. We're on the penultimate issue of Christopher Cantwell's run. He's wrapping up his run with issue number 25. I'm sad to see it go. I've loved what he's done, particularly in the second arc, the first arc uh, with Korvac and uh, Tony getting the, the, literally the, the powers of a god with um him absorbing the the cosmic energy of galactus and see you know tony re- realizing the the mistakes that he was making um the emotional journey of korvac like all that worked really really well um and in a way the second arc has been a little bit smaller in a lot of ways in terms of scope but at the same time still a really big idea but a little bit more of, of Tony kind of handling his own stuff, right? Like this idea of, of Tony. And, and again, it was the kind of the era that uh, really defines Iron Man for me when Tony had given up being Iron Man because uh, of his drinking and Rhodey had the armor. And this was right before the Silver Centurion armor uh, was created that showed up in issue 200. Um, and it was Tony kind of rebuilding himself after, um, you know, basically giving into his addictions and then returning to Iron Man with that red and silver armor and, uh, and taking responsibility, you know, that was a big part of that run from like, let's say 170 ish. Um, I mean, I think 182 was where he finally got sober, but from 170, you could see that he was struggling. He was going back and forth with it. And then from, 183 or whatever, as he starts to build himself back up, takes responsibility for the mistakes he's made um, all the way up through armor wars one and two, where again, he's taking responsibility. Um, He doesn't want his technology to be used for um, ill gains. Um, And that's, that's sort of what we have here, right? Like we learned a couple of issues ago about this group called uh, source control who basically become the biggest arms dealers in the world. Um, and Tony is willing to bankrupt himself to go and buy all these weapons. And again, it's, it's, it shows, like I said, uh, a responsibility that Tony is taking. Um, that once again, he's doing whatever he can to get the weapons out of the hands of those who would do harm with them. Um, but he, so again, a return to form for the character, very classic. But also that Tony has learned, right? He, he's learned he doesn't need to go in there guns blazing where people might get hurt. Why not just use his, you know, vast fortune to just go and buy the weapons? If source control is selling the weapons, then he's going to buy them. Um, and we saw last issue that a, a deal to get the Mandarin rings, the 10 rings, uh, went sideways for, uh, for Tony. So, um, it, it was kind of the ultimate weapon that source control had advertised that they had. And it's, it's one that Tony really wanted to get his hands on because he knows how powerful those rings are. 
Uh, and if they fall into the wrong hands, it, it can do a lot of damage. So he definitely feels responsible and he wants to get those rings out of the hands of anybody who would use them um, nefariously. So a great issue. Um, it wraps up in an unexpected way. I'm looking forward to the next issue, issue 25, anniversary issue. Um, but at the same time, it's going to be bittersweet because uh, Christopher Cantwell, like I said, it's his last issue on the book. So um, I don't know what the future holds for Iron Man. This run has been one of my favorites in recent memory. Um, and uh, again, I'm just really impressed with, with Christopher Cantwell. I've talked, uh, you know, I've talked about his, his, um, his book last week, the Namor book was my, my favorite Namor book that I've, that I think I've ever read. Um, he's just such a fantastic writer. And again, maybe it's just that, you know, his sensibility and his, um, the way he views these characters, it's just, uh, it really speaks to me. It's kind of the same way that I view them. So, you know, maybe that's why I'm enjoying these runs, um, so much, but, um, the angel on Zeta art in this book is also very beautiful, digitally painted, um, and his art has been fantastic throughout along with the Alex Ross covers. So to me, this has been a fantastic Iron Man run. Uh, all right. Up next from image, we have the deadliest bouquet. We're up to issue three. This is from writer Erica Schultz. She also does the lettering. Uh, Carola Borelli does the art. Gabe Contreras on colors. Uh, it's the story of three sisters who all return to their hometown when their mother is apparently murdered. And unbeknownst to a lot of people in the town, including the police investigating the murder, their mother was a, a Nazi hunter. And so it's about the dysfunction of family. It's about the mystery of who killed the mother. And it's uh, rolling out in a slow pace with just enough little twists and turns along the way from Erica Schultz to keep you coming back. Um, it is a little bit hard for me to relate to. Um, if I have any nitpick about it, um, just in terms of, yeah, I didn't always get along with my siblings, but not to this level of dysfunction. Right. And, you know, I didn't, everybody's situation is different. And certainly the, the girl's father was no walk in the park and it was a very turbulent relationship between, uh, the parents. And so I'm sure that kind of informed the relationship that the sisters had and do have now. And so it's believable if not always uh, relatable. So I'm still sort of looking for my way in uh, to this, but uh, I'm enjoying it. Each of the sisters is very unique and um, probably the best thing about the book, other than the art, which is really gorgeous and um, Borelli's style really suits kind of a slice of life type story. Um, but the best thing about the book is the unique voice that Erica Schultz is able to bring to each of the, of the sisters. So um Give it a read. I think it's worth uh, picking up and I'm very curious to see where it goes from here. Uh, okay. Up next, Captain America, symbol of truth. We're up to issue number six. This is the beginning of the second arc from writer Tochi Onabuchi. Art is by Iguara. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Colors by Jesus Arbatov. Um, this was a bit of a shocking issue in some ways. In terms of, well, it's all action, first of all. It starts with a speech at the UN and uh, for a, a prime minister of an uh, African country. And then there's an attempt on her life. And it's basically the story of Captain America and Falcon trying to protect her. So um, 
it feels topical with some of the issues that this prime minister is is trying to address and with her conversation with Sam Wilson to kind of give us an avenue to to have that explained uh, without just having a big info dump. So it works on that level. Um, but the fights and the action don't really go the way you might think it would. Um, Sam Wilson definitely feels like he's on his back foot. And then at the end, we get the reveal of who's behind um, what's happened in this issue. And it's somebody that we've seen before in this particular series um, and and someone who seems like he's going to be a real nemesis for Sam Wilson. Um, I still prefer the Steve Rogers as Captain America. Um, Sam Wilson. I mean, great. Okay. He's not the Falcon anymore. Now you have this Hispanic guy. That's the Falcon. That that's fine. Um, and if you want to put Sam Wilson in a costume, that's, you know, more patriotic. I'm, I'm okay with that too, but uh, I've gone on record a thousand times saying, I just don't like when there's two characters with the same name. Um, just call him something else or call Steve Rogers, something else. If you want Sam Wilson to be Captain America. Um, also, I just think it's weird that he kept America with wings. It just, I just don't think that that worked. Like he just call him the Falcon and call this other guy something else. Um, he'll always be the Falcon to me. So, or call him American Eagle or something. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm not going to go down that tangent. Um, cause you guys probably heard me say it a hundred times. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's a solid read, but again, I think the, um, the Sentinel, Sentinel of Liberties, in my mind, is a better book. Uh, maybe it's just because I like Steve Rogers better. Um, anyway, let's move on. Next, we have the second issue of 10,000 Black Feathers, um, the Bone Orchard Mythos. This is the, the image imprint from Jeff Lemire and uh, Andrea Sorrentino. Lemire is doing the writing. Sorrentino, obviously, on the line work. Dave Stewart does color. Steve Wan's on letters. We met these two characters um, last issue. Uh, well, I should say we met one of we met one of them um, last issue and learned the the second girl was missing. So it, it flashes back and forth through time, um, and you know we see them in the flashbacks growing up from junior high to high school. They. There's some issues there, just just like friends usually do. You know, they can they can grow apart. Um, just as you start making different friends, and just, you know, everybody has different interests and and that sort of thing. So, um, the intimacy of this, the the interesting way that Sorrentino gives us or uh, and Lemire both they give us the story of these two characters and explain their characterization and their their desires and and what's important to them through the fantasy world that they're creating which one of these girls disappears um and that's partly what brings the novelist back, the one who who took the stories that they were creating and actually published them and actually became a successful novelist. Um, 
But last issue, we saw that she's come back to her hometown to, to the girl's mother. Jackie's the one that's missing. Um, and she's come back and, you know, the mother thinks that she just has come back for a break because that's what um, the writer, I can't remember the writer's name. I don't even think I'm flipping through here. And I don't even know that they, if they give her name, I'm sure they did in the first issue, but I don't have that one pulled up in front of me. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a bit annoying. But anyway, um, the fact that the characterization for these two is, is given through, again, the stories they create and how much they care about them and love them. It's like, uh, it's just a really unique way to tell the story. And seeing these girls go through their struggles and the ups and downs of their friendship uh, and learning about them through the intimacy of the world that they're creating, that one of the girls then turns around and, and turns into a, you know, a published novel. There's power in that. There's um, a real intimacy in that as well. Um, and it, it really dovetails into something that I, I talk about all the time. And that's how much you can, tell by a society by their their stories by the fiction that they create what's important to them by the stories that they create and here it here it is here's a perfect example of it um very meta um in this book it's it's lemire writing and, and sorrentino drawing they're both creating they're giving us a story about creators who in the story they're telling are also creating so there's there's multiple layers there. Like what's important to Lemire and Sorrentino? What are they trying to say with this story as they're using characters within the story to tell their own story about what's important to them, right? So again, there's multiple layers here and it works really, really well. And yeah, this is my book of the week. It wasn't close. I was blown away by this. It was perfectly paced. It was a good chunk of story. There's still plenty of mystery and plenty of um questions to be answered but it, it was one of those things where i opened the book and i started reading it before i knew it i was done and i immediately wanted the next one and uh you know I, it wasn't done in that it you know had three or four letter uh, words of dialogue and it was done it was it, it was a good read um and there was just so much information but it was never expositional and just through this natural conversation, great scripting and dialogue from Lemire. So this natural conversation and interaction between these two girls as they're creating their own fantasy world. Uh, we just learned so much about who they are, about what they care about. And I just thought that it works really, really well. Um, I, was, I wasn't blown away by the first issue. I thought it was an, a start, but didn't know what to expect. Didn't know if I was going to be immediately sucked in like I was with Gideon Falls. For me, um, the second book that they did primal, I think it was called where, where the pets went and the, the animals went into space. That one didn't really land for me. So I wasn't sure what to expect of this one. And after the first issue, I still wasn't sure what to expect. Now after the second issue, I'm all in. It's so good. It's so, uh, like I said, intimate and it, uh, it's just so well done. The, the way that we get to know these characters through their own story they're creating is just done really, really well. So, uh, all right, let me give some other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. From Ablaze, we have Promethe 1313, number four, which is um, 
kind of a futuristic space story that I've really been dying to read from Andy Diggle and uh, Sean Martinborough. And that's on me that I just haven't made made the time. And now it's all the way up to issue four. Uh, we also have The Return of Wind from uh, James Tynan. It's up to issue three. Somehow I missed this, um, th- that Wind had come back as a five-issue mini. Uh, this time it's called The Throne in the Sky. And like I said, this is issue three of uh, a five um, from DC. Again, you can hear all about these books on our DC Spotlight yesterday. Andromeda, Aquaman, Andromeda, number three of three. Uh, Batman, one day, one bad day. Penguin, number one from John Ridley. Uh, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, number eight from writer Mark Wade. Gorgeous Dan Mora art. Uh, Batman the Night, number 10 of 10 from Chip Zdarsky that finishes off that series talking about um, or showing us really Bruce Wayne's journey around the world to train to become Batman. Uh, Black Adam, number five from writer Christopher Priest. We have Catwoman, number 48. Dark Crisis, Young Justice, number five of six from Megan Fitzmartin. DC versus Vampires, All Out War, number four of six. We've got Deceased War of the Undead Gods, number three, from writer Tom Taylor. That's number three of eight. A duo, number six of six, from Greg Pock, finishes off that story. Set in Milestone Universe, but new characters that, that didn't exist in Milestone previous to this iteration. Uh, Flash, number 787, was uh, a real fun ride from writer Jeremy Adams. Flashpoint Beyond, number six, is the last issue of that series, but feels more like a beginning there are so many revelations or so many story ideas uh, that can come out of that from uh, from Jeff Johns, along with Jeremy Adams and Tim Sheridan. So I'm really curious to see what else we're going to get um, that's going to have its roots in, uh, in Flashpoint Beyond. GCPD, The Blue Wall, number one of six, which is a little bit of a procedural, maybe think Gotham Central. Um, it stars a bunch of rookies and uh, basically on their first day on the Gotham city police department, along with uh, starring uh, Renee Montoya as the commissioner and her trying to navigate that uh, very challenging position. Uh, I am Batman number 14, which we actually reviewed on last week's uh, DC spotlight because it, uh, it was late. So I got pushed a week uh, night, Nightwing number 97. That was my book of the week it, uh, book of the week. It had so much humor, gorgeous art, and a real what the hell is going on ending uh, that I can't wait to learn more about. Uh, Rogues, number four of four from artist Leo Mack and Joshua Williamson. Uh, the last rogue story is what Joshua called it, and uh, it lives up to its title. And finally, from DC, Titans United Blood Pact, number two of six from writer Kevin Scott. Gorgeous uh, Lucas Meyer art. Gorgeous. Uh, and some awesome covers. There's a Derek Chu. Uh, Starfire cover that's uh, that's just amazing. Uh, all right, over at IDW, and I meant to read this and I just forgot. Crashing number two, which is um, the first issue, was really good. Uh, it's basically the story of a woman who works on a, as a emergency room doctor in a hospital in a world where um, people with powers exist, and due to insurance and liability purposes, uh, their hospitals outlawed um, the outlawed the doctors uh, and they don't allow any superpowered people in the hospital. Like they've, they've uh, said, you know, told their doctors, you, you are not allowed to work on people with powers. If they come in, they turn them away. So obviously there's a lot to explore there. Um, but I'm definitely going to read issue two. I can't believe that I forgot. Now that I'm going through my list here. Uh, anyway, 
over at Image, in addition to the books I talked about, I want to mention uh, Walking Dead Deluxe number 49 as uh, Robert Kirkman continues the reprint uh, that comes out every two weeks of The Walking Dead, but in color. So if you're so inclined, uh, pick that up at Marvel. A lot of books besides the ones that I talked about. We've got Carnage number seven. Crypt of Shadows, number one. There's a new Spider-Man slash horror book called Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man rather than Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Speaking of horror, Midnight Suns, number two of five, has its second issue. Miracle Man by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham, the Silver Age, number one, which continues the Silver Age story they were writing in Miracle Man way back in the late 80s. Um, Moon Knight, number 16, which I planned on reading. I don't. I didn't get a preview copy of that. Not sure why. Also, Punisher number three is another one that I was looking forward to reading, but didn't get a preview copy. So look for those. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, number four from writer Jean Luen Yang. Over in the Star Wars corner, we've got Star Wars Darth Vader, number 28. Thor is also up to number 28. And then X-Force is on 33 and X-Men is up to number 16. Uh, let's see. I think... Uh, one more Scout Comics Forever Forward, number two of five from writer Zach Kaplan, who is a fantastic writer. That's also, um, as Zach often does, uh, writes sci-fi. That's a, a great sci-fi story, and I do recommend it. Uh, and also, he has his uh, issue four of his Mindset comic out from Vault. Uh, Zach Kaplan does as well. So uh, that's a rundown on some of the other books that you may want to be on the lookout for today. Uh, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Don't forget to go check out my interview with J.M. DeMatteis uh, that dropped on Monday, where J.M. is talking all about his current Kickstarter campaign that's going on for some uh, really interesting stories with four different artistic collaborators. Um, highly recommend you all check that out. So uh, we appreciate you joining us as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.